Hey everybody, welcome back to the Medical Sales Nation. I appreciate you joining in. So anybody hear of this term, uh, digital health? Yeah, digital health. It's on uh, every LinkedIn post if you're, uh, if you're paying attention and telemedicine and telehealth, it's all over the place. So one of the most promising companies, I believe, in the digital health space is a company called Echo Health. And they're in the cardiac space and pulmonary space. And what they've done is created a technology that is going to use artificial intelligence to be able to better diagnose patients, to put them on the right path of treatment. It's a big deal because it's going to save our healthcare system money. So I'm not going to talk too much more about this. Just listen to the podcast. Um, We've got Connor Landgraf on, who is the co-founder and CEO of Echo Health, telling us about his journey, about the technology, and what he thinks it will accomplish. You can tell he's a very humble young man on a very important journey for all of us. So without further ado, let's get at it. to another episode of the Medical Sales Nation. It's Jim Sturek, and I have a guest today. His name is Connor Landgraf, and he is the co-founder and CEO at Echo, and it is an exciting company. It's an AI-powered telehealth platform in the cardiac space as well as in the pulmonary space as well, and and Connor will get more into that. So, Connor, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, Jim. Uh, really glad to be here and appreciate the chance to, to chat with you. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, I I know a little bit about uh, the company, actually probably more than most. And I I just think what you guys are doing is, is incredible, especially when it comes, I have this tagline that I stole from Premier GPO, healing our healthcare system. And you guys are really on the forefront of doing that. But before we get into that, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and then you know how you started Echo, and we'll go from there. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my background is in is in biomedical engineering, and uh, believe it or not, Echo's story starts with uh, with with grad school. Um, I was uh, studying biomedical engineering, doing my master's at Berkeley, and um, had the chance to do a class that had a needs finding exercise and, and had some conversations with physicians about how they use common medical technology and basically uncovered that, um, you know, primary care physicians and, and frontline clinicians are very, um, inaccurate and not confident at using a stethoscope as a diagnostic tool to, to screen patients for, um, cardiac or pulmonary conditions. And now, that, I'm, I'm sorry, but were you shocked at that? I'm shocked at hearing that. Yeah, no, I, it definitely was a very eye-opening moment. It was like, wow, you know, I mean, we had a physician tell us, um, I just do it because the patient expects us to do it. You know, I just put the stethoscope on their chest because, you know, th- that's something that they think I should do. <laughs> that, that doesn't make me feel very good. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it doesn't. And, but it, then again, it's also, you know, it's a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, you have to hear those very subtle minute differences between healthy and and diseased hearts and lungs. And that's something that just takes a ton of training and a ton of practice to do. And if you don't see enough cases, if you don't 
you don't get enough repetitions on that, if you don't train that musical ear, um, then, then, you know, of course you're not going to be able to do that very accurately or confidently. Right, right. Sure, sure. Okay. So you did this needs assessment, you got this input. And so what did you do? So, yeah, so what, what I did was, um, you know, I had a, a software developer background. And so I was approaching this from the perspective of thinking about um, consumer products like Shazam and Siri and Alexa and, and these um, acoustic products or, or these um, speech recognition products that are, are very powerful and for the most part, quite accurate. And, you know, the idea to me was, well, why can't we combine those deep learning technologies that work so well for consumer products and build them for um, acoustic analysis of heart sounds and lung sounds. And then can we wrap on that, you know, deep learning analysis or AI algorithms to help us analyze the non-invasive um, signals that our hearts and lungs produce and use those as frontline screening technologies in the clinic or as remote patient monitoring technologies for those who have chronic cardiac or pulmonary conditions. Okay. So it's, it, so I want to, you know, wrap my head around this. So you can create the software as well as the hardware, but how do you find the information to load in for the AI piece so that they're actually, there's something to compare it to? Does that make sense? Like you can listen to it, but what is it compared to in the beginning? Yeah. What, yeah. What is that gold standard compared yeah. to? Yeah. Yep. So we use, um, you know, we use a, a number of uh, kind of gold standard tests that, to compare against. So those might be um, echocardiogram imaging studies, you know, ultrasound pictures of the heart. That might be um, uh, clinical diagnosis of a certain condition. So we do have to kind of work within the confines of the healthcare system to determine what is that best gold standard um, that we can compare against. And then we can try to capture recordings from those patients. So it's identified, let's find patients with confirmed um, atrial fibrillation or congestive heart failure, and then let's capture uh, and build training data sets compared to, compared to those patients. Okay. All right. So what was the first year like when, uh, so, well, let me ask this. So you did this needs assessment and, um, you met with these clinicians. Did you go, was this still part of your schooling that you were, um, going to present or did you take this and say, Hey, I think we have a, a, a company idea, something to create here. Yeah. You know, this was in, this was in, in, in school. And so it was, it was, uh, a bit of a, a class project, so to say. Um, but I really started to think about, was there an opportunity to, to turn this into a company and, and could we take that and, um, and, and really commercialize um, services and, and hardware and, and sensors to help clinicians do this screening test more effectively um, and, and build a more powerful frontline um, uh, screening device. Okay. Um, Go ahead. So, yeah. So then, you know, finished up school and then, and then took us some time to kind of identify the right early investors, be able to build some of those first prototypes, understand what it meant to be a medical device company. That was a, uh, you know, a long process to kind of figure out how do you, how do you grow the team? How do you find the resources and the right expertise to actually make that a reality? And then how do you go through the regulatory approval processes and get the devices on market and, um, and, and build the, the customer relationships through that? Sure. So obviously you're coming out of Berkeley. So did the school, I'm, I'm fascinated because I'm in Chicago and I've recently participated in, in some of the activities that are going on at Northwestern where they're taking their um, 
engineering school, their medical school, the business school, and the law school, and people are coming together from each of those schools and creating companies, and the university is there to support them. Did you get the same type of support out of Berkeley? I did, yeah. There was a, a number of really great resources for startup companies at Berkeley at the time, um, and, and they've continued to develop those even more in the last few years. Um, but we were we participated in an accelerator at Berkeley. Um, we we uh, you know had a number of great mentors and, and faculty advisors who um, you know supported the company in the early days. So we got quite a bit of, of support and resources from from the university um, in those nascent days uh, when we were just starting the company. Okay, so what was the trigger to say, hey, we've got something here? You know, it, that's a good question. I I don't know if there was a single trigger. Um, but it was really just that understanding that th there was a, it, we had that strong conviction that we could build something that could be more accurate than a frontline clinician and, and help them do their job better. And so I think with that conviction, the, the drive was really, how do we get enough iterations on our product concepts, on our hardware designs, on our core prototypes, um, and to make sure that we could land on something that was in the right form factor, at the right price, in the right shape, you know, the, all those other variables that we could get right um, so that we could deliver this value to clinicians. And so I, I think, you know, it was just a process of trying to, you know, go through the, um, the, 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 the business model canvas, so to say, to understand if we were on the right track and the number of cycles we had to do to, to, to make that happen. Um, it took a long time, I'd say. I mean, it, it took us probably a year and a half of, experimenting and prototyping and ideating before we felt like we landed on something that um, that was resonating with with those early physician customers. Okay, so when you approach the um, the early doctors, I'm I'm always um, respectful of uh, of doctors, surgeons uh, um, across the board for what they've done and and what they're trying to do for their patients. And you know, it's sometimes hard to explain a technology, not hard. You just want to be very respectful because you don't want to go in and say, listen, we know that you can't really use a stethoscope, right? Because I think they'd be a little offended, but um, how did you approach it to, because I could, I could see that, you know, some doctors, if they're not friends of the family could um, take that the wrong way. So what was your approach um, as you started to talk to more doctors on this topic? Yeah, it's, that is a, you, hit, you definitely hit it on the head, which is, you know, when you're working with physicians and you really want to be respectful and not uh, come across as, as being critical of, of what they're doing currently. But I think there is quite a bit of recognition as, um, among um, physicians that, that they don't really feel comfortable using the stethoscope. And, and I think we were pleasantly surprised uh, by the number of physicians who would just tell us that, you know, it wasn't something that they were uh, you know, it was something that they were acutely aware of. Um, and it was also something that they recognized in other physicians. And so okay. there wasn't that, there wasn't that sensitivity that, that you might think. Okay. Well, no, that's good. That's good. And so, so you took a year and a half to get the prototype. You started to go out. What were you thinking? Cause I think, um, over time you've changed your business, uh, not your business model, but your opportunities to impact our healthcare system have grown exponentially with this, um, with your technology, not only because of COVID, and we'll talk about that a little bit more, but just in general, 
my perceptions and, and the research that I've done is that you'd have great impact across the board for healthcare systems, large IDNs, um, small hospitals that are rural. So what was your first thought when you brought this to market that what would your impact be? Yeah, you know, when we first started, the the primary goal was let's build this product and let's get it in, the, in physicians' hands. And we had a number of kind of ideas of where we could take it after that. But the original goal was just, you know, let's let's augment physicians' um, auscultation skills and, and let's get these in the hands of primary care physicians and, and cardiologists and pediatricians and nurses and every frontline clinician you can imagine. Right. Um, but, you know, we, we definitely saw the bigger picture, which was if we can um, – uh, if we can build this for clinicians in in the office, there's a massive opportunity for us to be able to, pay, to take this to patients at home um, and to help provide better disease management or telemedicine or remote patient monitoring. Um, and at that time, those were still relatively, you know, this is a this is a few years ago. This is four years ago, <clears throat> you know, in, in in 2016. And so, this was definitely a nascent industry. Telehealth was still, you know starting to grow more quickly, but still very, um, not, uh, it was, it was a niche market. Um, and then remote patient monitoring, especially, it was also a very niche market. So it, that we knew we wanted to go there, but we knew it was going to take time and, and require both market development just at a broader level and more, um, awareness and, and adoption of telehealth, um, and better technologies like ours to, to make that really successful. Sure. So when, just to be clear on the product, maybe describe for the audience what this stethoscope has that of the traditional conventional stethoscope doesn't have. Yeah, so so we have a couple of different product variants, but one of them is basically a digital stethoscope or a digital module that can add on to a physician's existing acoustic stethoscope um, and then can stream the data to uh, a mobile application so they can be recorded visualized, saved, interpreted, or um, transmitted to a, another clinician remotely. Um, and then we have a handheld simultaneous ECG and digital stethoscope device. Um, it's, it's kind of the first of its kind mobile device in, in that simple form factor um, that's widely available for clinicians or patients to be able to um, capture this data in, in the clinic or with a patient at home and then stream that data, the ECG and hard sounds back to the, uh, back to the clinician remotely. Okay. So your first, um, the first product that you launched, did it have that capability of uh, transmitting it to a mobile device? It did. Yes. The first, yeah, we, we had that kind of Bluetooth capability built into our products from day one. Um, and, and we did put a lot of effort into trying to make sure that that was a very seamless and, um, and smooth experience capturing the data on the digital stethoscope device and then transmitting it to the mobile phone, um, you know, in the most seamless experience possible. Because at the end of the day, no physician wants to fumble with their iPhone in front of a patient. Um, and so that was something that we were very cautious of. Okay. And so, and just painting a picture for the audience is that, so you listen to the heart, it then transmits that data into a mobile device and gives a more accurate output of a ECG than what the doctor would have heard naturally. Is that right? 
yeah, the, the ECG is the electrical activity of the heart, and then what we call the the PCG or the phonocardiogram, which is is the audio waveform sure. of the heart sound. So, so that's the picture of the lub dub lub dub of the patient's heart, and then you can see the rhythm of the heart muscle on top of that. So you get both of those things simultaneously. And so what you're getting though is a very accurate visual picture of the heart that your your the doctor's natural ears couldn't pick up. Correct. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Okay. You can augment those, augment the, the physician's hearing with, with this visual display. Yeah. And so, so to me, I, that's why I keep saying that this technology, it's, it's, it blows me away because, um, you and I had a conversation before and, and I, and I did some research where, was it 50% of the patients are misdiagnosed? Either they think they have something wrong with them or they do, but it's not diagnosed. Is that, is that about accurate? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of statistics that are all in that range, but generally somewhere around, you know, the accuracy rate of a, of a physician with a stethoscope uh, is is typically somewhere around fifty percent accurate. It, it's quite um, quite low. Yeah, um, and and there just there isn't enough training. There's not enough repetition. There's not enough experience that most clinicians have to be able to to do that confidently or accurately. Right. So you're so you're you're so humble about this technology. I love it, but I'm I'm thinking about. The impact that alone can have on our healthcare system, right? I mean, you're sending patients, not you, doctors are sending patients home that have a heart condition, but weren't able to hear it, you know, with their conventional technologies or, and, but these patients are sick and now you're able to capture that patient and, and you're also not sending, um, patients who don't have a heart condition through the healthcare system wasting dollars too. It's just as important. So thinking of these patients that were being sent home are now being sent on to the, the appropriate pathway earlier, hopefully, you know, earlier in the disease state than later, the impact on the healthcare system alone, um, as well as those patients' lives is immeasurable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the two big goals that we have were improve the accuracy of frontline clinicians so that we can better triage and detect the latent types of heart disease that um, are, are, you know, are so nefarious and, and so common among patients. And, and we can do that, you know, we can improve the accuracy of a frontline clinician and move them from being 50% accurate to 80 or 90% accurate with the stethoscope. That, that, that's a lot of undetected disease that we can help um, identify earlier. Um, and then it was, you know, we want to better manage patients who have chronic cardiac and pulmonary conditions, and we want to build that, um, the technology so that we can monitor these patients remotely while they're at home. Sure. Um, and that, you know, that, that we can continue to provide care, even if it doesn't have to happen, um, right within the walls of the clinic, sure. um, but that we can do that. We can do that in a more virtual fashion. Sure. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. So, um, the remote, oh, well, I should ask this question. When you first started to create um, Echo, were you thinking about telemedicine and mobile um, care, or did you really just start with "I just want to make the doc more accurate"? It, it was part, it was part of our roadmap early on, okay. um, but, but it was the second phase. You know, the, the sure. first phase was let, let's get this in the hands of physicians because the other part of the of the physician uh, journey with it was we needed to be able to capture a lot of data from different heart sounds and pathology. So we could actually build those algorithms in the first place. It was, you know, when we started, 
we looked around and there were almost no heart sound databases available. Mm. There was very little training data that we could use for those deep learning algorithms. And so we recognized that we have to be able to capture a, a tremendous amount of, 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 of recordings of different patients' heart sounds and different disease states so that we could actually build those um build those algorithms in the first place. Sure, sure. No, I, I, it's fascinating. So on the on the remote mobile piece, just curious, would a healthcare, so a patient takes this mobile device home who has a certain type of heart condition, who's providing that device? Are, is the patient purchasing it? Is uh, the healthcare system lending it to the patient? How does that work? Yeah, there's a few different models. We have some customers who... Um, you know, kit it and ship it directly to the patient's home and they provide it with an iPad or uh, a blood pressure cuff or a, a few other peripherals. Um, and then we also have customers who we ship it directly to the patient and uh, they set it up with the patient and interact with it in that fashion. So there's there's a few different models that we have with different customers in that situation. Sure. So there's a lot of commercial um, folks that listen to this podcast. So the question is going to be raised, is, it, is there reimbursement in the device itself? And, who, and is the patient going to pay for it or will the hospital buy it for the patient, send it, and then use appropriate reimbursement codes for the, for the diagnosis of? Yeah. Well, this, this answer was very different uh, two or three months ago, but just with the massive amount of additional payment that we're seeing for telehealth right. rate, um, the, this answer is changing quite a bit and, and will hopefully uh, change a few more times as well. Um, but right now, the device itself is not reimbursed. So either the healthcare system pays for it or the, the patient pays for it themselves. Um, but the visit that you can conduct with the device is reimbursed and paid for. So there is a very um, compelling, very quick return on investment if the physician conducts those visits with the patient um, using our device. Okay. So so then, I, I like I said, I, this this technology is just, is just awesome. So you... Um, you started really selling this to frontline clinicians online or calling your customer service. You didn't really have a sales force that was out there knocking on doors. Is that correct? Yeah. We, you know, early on, we, um, when we tried to cost out what it would take for us to build a you know, med device geographic sales force, the numbers were just kind of staggering in terms of cost. And, and we realized that was going to be a, a challenging road for us to go down. And so what we wanted to do was find a way to sell the product directly to clinicians as much as possible, because this stethoscope is actually one of the few medical devices that's actually paid for by the physician themselves. It's personal property. Sure. Um, and so because of that, our, our you know early commercialization focus was let's sell it directly to clinicians. Let's let them purchase it directly as if they were, you know, getting uh, another piece of consumer electronics or something like that. And then let's work with them to uh, identify those early champion customers who could help us sell to the health systems and sell the services, the telehealth capabilities, the analysis software to their um, employer, to the uh, to the large health system or the clinic, um, and that could be our that could be our bottom up sales channel, so to say. Sure. And that is that is kind of me. That has remained as one of our um, kind of one of the fixtures of our business models. We go direct to the clinician first. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Um, I don't have a Facebook. My wife has a Facebook and she'll tell me that um, she'll see the Echo um, ad come up on her Facebook for some reason. She says she sees it, you know, 
often enough. So whatever you guys are doing there, it's really working and people are paying attention to it. So um, now I'm curious because on your, on your website, you have offerings for enterprise, enterprise plus home and clinical trials, life sciences. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what that strategy is for you with the, with the enterprise, how you're looking at it, um, the enterprise and home and, uh, how you see getting this into, you know, large IDN's hands because uh, you got, you have a lot of employee owned or employee doctors working for hospital systems. Now they have to come together, work together across cardiac and family practitioner. Just what, what's your strategy around that? And, and I'm asking because I think this is so important for our healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with the, you know, enterprise side, it's, we sell the devices. You could break it down as basically the device and the software. So we sell the devices to the individual clinicians. Um, they're our, our champions. They understand the product. They see the capability of it. They get to, you know, beta test it within their own institution. Um, and then we sell the, the services, the telehealth software connection or the AI capability to the, the health system um, because that, you know, the health system is the one who gets the majority of the value there. They they capture the billings. They're um, able to detect more pay, more disease. So most of that value goes to the system versus to the individual physician. Um, the enterprise offerings, you know, we typically sell those to um, mid to large practices. We haven't chosen necessarily a, um, a a customer segment that we solely focus on, but really it's wherever we find those individual clinicians who can be our the champions for our technology and and help us roll it out within their, um, within their organization. And then on the telehealth side, um, you know, we work with departments, either cardiology departments or, um, um, primary care departments, um, or kind of any of the outpatient cardiology groups to roll out the telehealth capabilities so that they can send devices home with patients and then get the data back in the same portal in the same framework as they would, um, for any recorded data on, on the in-clinic side. Sure. So when you're, when you're working with the telehealth side, are you teaming up with telehealth companies that have doctors that use their services or you're going right to the clinicians themselves bypassing that? Just curious. Yeah, we, we go directly to the clinicians. We go to those health systems that, you know, are, are starting to rule out telehealth and want to be able to continue to care for their patients. Um, we're, we're not really focused on the direct to consumer telehealth necessarily, uh, but we're really more focused on empowering the health systems to engage and keep and, and support the, the, the patients that they already have. Yeah. So so a company like Teladoc is not somebody that you're trying to sell this to. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Teladoc is, is you know, it's much more direct to consumer yeah. than, than our focus. Um, you know, the health systems and, and the IDNs and the providers are really our, 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 our target customer. Sure. And that's where we get the most value too, because those are the same customers who we have clinicians who are using our B2C hardware. And, you know, it, it's all that same, the, the customer is the same for all of those, um, all those product types. So, um, so with the, um, uh, going to the enterprise and going to those large clinics and whether family practitioners or cardiologists, what about the, the IDNs themselves, do they see the value of being able 
to taking out telemedicine and, and, and mobile devices, do they see the value or how challenging is it? I, that's probably a better question. How challenging is it? And what are the challenges of trying to explain this technology to a 20 plus hospital system saying, hey, if you armed all your primary care type doctors and your cardiologists with this product, it would do have this impact from a clinical perspective as well as a financial perspective for not only the healthcare system, the the provider, but the patient as well. I mean, because um, I just see in my head that if I'm that IDN, especially with value-based payments um, that are coming and um, bundled payments, that this would be really attractive. Yeah, you, you know, it, it's... It's pretty simple. The, the the pitch to them is we can reduce the number of um, negative echocardiograms or diagnostic tests that you'll order and increase the number of, of positive um, diagnostic tests or echocardiograms that you'll order. Um, it it's, will help you identify earlier in the process the patients who are, are more likely to have disease. Make sure that those get referred to the right specialist and get the right care. Um, and those who don't have disease that we avoid an unnecessary referral um, and we're able to better triage and, and coordinate care there. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's driven by those frontline clinicians. It's, it's the intake staff, it's the, the nurses, the primary care physicians. It's just giving them, you know, a more comprehensive tool to accurately do that frontline screening test um, and then be able to make decisions based upon that, that, uh, that help drive downstream care. Sure. So what resistance do you see from your primary care, your frontline docs with the, with, uh, the stethoscope? You know, I mean, there, there's some, there's always some questions around workflow and, and how do we, you know, make sure that this isn't time consuming. And those are things that we do spend a lot of time focused on, yeah. uh, to make sure that this isn't something that, you know, impedes their ability to see patients and, uh, and be efficient as a, as a clinician. So I'd say that's probably the most significant one. Um, you know, we always have questions around the false positives versus the false negatives. How do we trade those off and how do we, you know, what happens when there is disagreement between what the clinician thinks and what the device says. Um, um, but, but, you know, those are the, I think those are the, the primary, um, concerns or, or blockers that, that, that these customers or that these clinicians think of. Sure. So when you're, when you're talking about, once again, these large hospital systems and you're, you're talking to them, are they excited about going to talk to the frontline docs about the product? Do you find that the process is fairly political just because we're dealing with hospitals or are, are do they grasp that concept quickly? Cause this is such a new technology that like I keep saying, just has such tremendous value. Are they moving fast or are they taking their time? It, it, it varies quite a bit system or, uh, you know, clinician or um, IDN to IDN, clinic to clinic, um, hospital to hospital. Some of them are moving very quickly. Others are taking a little bit more of a wait and see approach. Um, but I think we've been, we've been quite surprised at the speed with which a lot of the, the systems are moving. You know, they recognize that um, uh, better triage, better frontline care, um, can help better detect the disease in their population. I think all of these health systems recognize that they have undiagnosed disease in their patient populations, and they all recognize that that's a huge problem from a liability perspective, from a patient care perspective. Um, and you know, if you have patients with heart disease or or lung disease and you're not catching them, uh, they're going to go across the street. They're going to go to another health system 
Um, so that you know, there's all of those pressures that are helping them recognize that this is something that uh, that they need to improve upon. Um, and so the, that definitely helps um, move the conversation along well, from, from what we've seen. Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that because a lot of times dealing with the IDNs for all the right reasons, it's it's a challenge and trying to get new technologies in with. Um, you know, when you start talking about artificial intelligence, pr- predictive analytics, and telehealth platforms, probably six months ago was was a greater challenge until today, which takes me to COVID. I on LinkedIn, you guys put a lot of content out, and you were putting a lot of content out around COVID and telehealth and um, mobile uh, telehealth as well, um, or mobile diagnostic. What uh, how, tell me about when the COVID hit. What what happened to you guys? What was the what was the impact? Yeah, there was you know there's there's a couple impacts we saw first. You know, number one was um, the demand for the devices really increased very substantially, and that was because um, our products have kind of wireless auscultation capabilities, so you can better use it with PPE. You can imagine a tube, you know, a traditional stethoscope is going to be very challenging to use with PPE. Sure. You're going to have to, you know, you got to take the face shield off. You got to get really close to the patient. Uh, obviously lots of concern around, um, around staying safe from the clinician's perspective. Um, and so just the wireless capability of our devices was, was very, um, important to clinicians. And we were very excited by uh, the way that that product was used there. Um, And so, you know, we just had, we had multiple years of growth in, uh, in, in a few weeks, which was exciting. (laughs) And, and then also extremely challenging when you're like, all right, now we have to deal with the downstream challenges of this uh, on the supply chain side, on the customer support side. So it was definitely all hands on deck for, for, um, uh, uh, several months really there. Sure. Um, and then we recognized that on the telehealth side, it was, you know, when, uh, when everyone is concerned about going into the clinic and when, you know, patients are canceling elective procedures and health systems are going on freeze, the challenge is how do you keep providing care to those patients who have, you know, significant chronic conditions like uh, congestive heart failure or valvular heart disease, you know, these, these patients who have chronic cardiovascular or, or pulmonary diseases, how do you keep caring for them when they can't come back into the clinic? Sure. And obviously the healthcare system's response was Zoom and, and video conferencing and, and telemedicine, and, and that's been incredible. But we also need devices. We need to have that ability to transmit vital signs as well, because at the end of the day, you really can't care for, you can't do an adequate exam or, or an adequate office visit for a patient with a, a very complex chronic condition without being able to capture some of that vital sign data. Sure. And so we just saw this then kind of second wave of, of, de- of really significant demand for the remote care and telehealth capabilities with our products. And, and that's required us to, you know, continue to invest a lot in improving the capability, adding the new features, adding new features and, um, and software offerings um, and, and, and iterating on that delivery process. Like I mentioned of how do we get the, the actual sensor to the patient's home at the right time for the visit, so we can actually make this a uh, make this a successful exam. So you know, lots of challenges and, and iteration there, um, as we just saw this just uh, tsunami wave of, of demand for um, for these new, you know, as, as healthcare went virtual. Um, I mean, sure. we, we've heard staggering statistics of 
health systems that went from 2% telehealth visits to 70% telehealth visits in 20 or 30 days, which yeah. is just mind boggling. Um, and, and we've restructured the payment models in healthcare to incentivize that and, and allow physicians to get paid for the care that they provide virtually. Um, and so I think this is, you know, it's, it's not going away. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a big part of how we think about healthcare for the future. Um, there was just a McKinsey report that said that um, uh, $250 billion in healthcare spending could be delivered virtually. Um, so there's, you know, a, a massive opportunity to help shift how we, uh, how we deliver care and, and how we think about where, where the boundary of the hospital ends. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I read that same article um, uh, from McKinsey and so many other ones coming out and talking about it. It's uh, it's great. It's great, you know, for, for you and, and the team to be in that spot and, uh, and, and uh, having to overcome the uh, supply chain, especially as the global economy shuts down. Right. So that must've been fun. <laughs> we have a very hardworking supply chain team who put in a lot of late nights and a, lo- a lot of uh, you know evening calls and weekend calls with with our suppliers over uh, around the world to to make that happen. So that was uh, a huge effort on their part to make to keep things sta- steady as much as possible. Sure. And on the reimbursement side, it was interesting. I I was watching. I was watching. It was some interview and. I believe it was Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina and they had the, I think it was the chief medical officer on and he said, the question was, are you going to continue to reimburse for telemedicine? And so this is a private payer and his response mm-hmm. is, we're not backing down. We're going to continue to go forward even when this shuts down, the, the COVID you know, crisis goes away. And so that was very encouraging to see that from a private payer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we've seen, uh, I believe it was Blue Cross of Tennessee announced that they were going to um, permanently, uh, they actually announced it as a policy that they were going to provide uh, uh, permanent um, telemedicine or telehealth coverage. Um, You know, the uh, the CMS administrator, um, Seema Burma, um, has also verbally said that CMS doesn't intend to change their payment models. And so I think, you know, we've shifted so much in healthcare to make this happen. And so it, it, it doesn't seem likely that we're just going to say, all right, you know, forget all that. Let's go back to the way it was before. So yeah. I, I, I'm quite confident that, that we're going to see those payment models or that reimbursement stick around. Yeah. So it's, I mean, even from my perspective, um, not from a cardiac issue, just getting blood drawn and then, that, so that's one trip just to get the blood drawn at a doctor's office. And then you have to take another trip for the, for the doctor to tell you what was in your, uh, the, the results of your blood test. Where, yeah. right? It's like, oh my gosh, can't you just call me? And I had, uh, I had it happen just uh, about a month ago. And they, um, I walk in the office and it's completely dead um, just because, and I asked, are you guys busy? And they're like, yes, yeah, sort of, kind of, because we're doing all telemedicine, telehealth. Um, right now and they set up the telehealth call and needs to be worked out a little bit but got on the phone with the doc it was a five minute conversation saved me an hour and a half in my day mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and yeah. so so in these sick patients that have you know multiple comorbidities they don't want to come to the office because they're coming to the office with other sick patients and and the cost the time it's such a hassle that this just alleviates 
so many issues by being able to do this. So, um, like I said, I'm just impressed. I mean, what do you see for yourself in Echo over the next two to three years? I should actually probably say over the next 12 months and then two to three years out. How do you see this evolving? How do you see your participation in the healthcare system and, and, and growing your awareness? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, we're, we're, we're going to double and triple down on um, the telehealth capabilities that we're, that we're already building. Um, uh, we want to, you know, we want to be the platform that powers virtual care visits and telehealth visits for, um, you know, all of those chronic uh, cardiac and, and pulmonary patients. Um, and so that's, that is really our, our mission for the next year and a year and a half is, 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 is be that platform. So provide the, the right infrastructure, the right payment models, the right um, uh, uh, distribution and um, sourcing and, and um, access uh, strategies to get the devices to the patients when they need it at the right time in the right format so that we can help enable uh, better remote care. Beyond that, you know, I think, I think one of the most exciting things to me personally is the ways that um, virtual care and, and telehealth can improve management uh, for patients with chronic conditions. Because I think, you know, one of, if you're doing office visits for, with a patient with chronic disease, um, that gets really time consuming and really, really disruptive quickly. And so you might want, you might say, I'm going to do an office visit with you know, a CHF patient once uh, a quarter or, or twice a year sure. just to check in on them um, because they have to come to the clinic, they have to drive, they have to park, you know, it, it's very disruptive to everyone's day to make that happen. But I think if we can move to a model in which, um, and, and, and the, the telehealth reimbursement is, is incentivizing is a more consistent, but lower um, burdens, uh, lower burden, visit schedule. And so it's a 15 minute visit, um, once every two weeks for that patient, that's all virtual. Um, and we're checking in on them. We're checking on, on how they're managing their condition, whether they're taking their meds, whether they're, um, you know, uh, able to, uh, manage their, uh, diet, uh, whether they're able to get exercise, checking them on their symptoms, you know, that type of, of, of visit and, and the lower, um, just complexity that that allows. And, and the, it's is so much more palatable to patients. Sure. Um, and I think the end result is that we can have these more consistent follow-up and, and touches and interactions with them um, that can help them better manage their own conditions. Absolutely. And, and that we're finally able to properly pay for that, incentivize that, um, let the healthcare system get paid for the care they deliver that happens outside the office. Um, so I'm, I'm really optimistic on, on how that can um, help patients manage chronic conditions. Yeah, it's um, especially with um, heart failure patients because just from a hospital system, they the, the one thing that Medicare will will have penalties uh, across the line on uh, on readmission rates. So the more that you can talk to these patients and um, keep up with their their health, the obviously the less amount of healthcare dollars are going to be spent as they are being brought into the healthcare system because they weren't seeing their doctor, they weren't taking the right meds, and they weren't able to help diagnose that until it was too late, right? And they're back into the hospital. So there's so many different ways in which your technology will heal this healthcare system. I just see it from so many different angles. So 
you have to, you and your team have to be proud of what you guys have done. Thanks. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. You know, we, um, uh, we think that there's so much more that we want to do and, and that's what we're really focused on. Um, but we are definitely uh, very optimistic about the future and, and see, um, uh, you know, hopefully a lot of potential for where we can take this. And, and it's exciting to feel like we have these, these larger trends and uh, these external forces that are helping drive this evolution in care. Um, and that we can be part of that process. Because uh, that's, you know, in healthcare, like in so many other industries, you got to, there's macro forces that are really significant that can make a sale um, so, so, so much easier and, sure. and so much more. Uh, more straightforward. Sure. So as we as we close this uh, podcast up, um, are you looking to use your technology outside the pulmonary and cardiac areas? Is there other ways of using this that you see in the future? Yeah, we do see you know some other interesting organ systems. Um, um, bowel sounds are, are are you know something that this stethoscope is commonly used for, and so there's some exciting applications beyond that. Um, but our primary focus is on cardiac and pulmonary. Uh, you know, that's where there's just so much need, um, uh, uh, so much opportunity to help provide better management and both screening and monitoring of patients. And, uh, and, and so I'd say that's, that's where the vast majority sure. of our energy is focused. Sure. I just can't help ask the question, how to leverage technology <laughs> to keep improving our healthcare system. I mean, I just can't help it. I'm so excited for what, what you guys are doing and, you know, wanted to get the word out because... Um, I do believe with podcasts like this and, and having a bunch of commercial people listen to it, they get excited because they want to be a part of something that's spectacular as well. And that's what I think you guys have lightning in a bottle that uh, so many people are going to want to know about and follow you. And, um, and also because as commercial people, we feel good about helping others as well uh, and, and bringing that technology to market. So um so I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the patients and the healthcare system for, you know, for this technology and what you're doing. And, and that's why I'm always looking, how do you leverage it to, to treat something else? But being focused on yeah. that cardiac side and the pulmonary side is going to have such dramatic impacts um, for what we do. And, um, you know, for the, for the medical sales nation, you guys got to follow Echo, they're on LinkedIn, they post, watch what they're doing and pay attention and spread the word to your family, friends about this device because I have, I have a father with cardiac issues, so I'm trying to talk to him about it. I have an uncle with some cardiac issues and it's, it's best that we spread this word organically because it will help your family and friends and it'll help our healthcare system. Um, so Connor, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the Medical Sales Nation podcast. Any Anything else you'd like to share with the audience, um, uh, please feel free. Thanks, Jim. No, I, I, I am honored to be on, on the show and, and it was it was a lot of fun to share more about what we're working on and, and um, why we're so excited about kind of this evolution in, in care. Um, so I, I think that's, uh, I think those are my closing thoughts. All right. Well, no, I appreciate uh, your time. I appreciate your team and um, for the work that you're doing, as I said. So until next time, Medical Sales Nation, follow Echo and spread the word. Hang tough. <laughs>